Thanks for tuning in to localjobnetwork.com radio, where you can find all of your favorite employment-related shows. I'm Katie Chesney, and you're listening to You Do What, a show where we check out a variety of non-traditional jobs, and maybe there are different jobs or jobs that people don't know about. Regardless, there are plenty of ways to start a career in these areas. Now, conducting is the art of directing a musical performance by way of visible gestures. And today, we're talking with John Devlin, an established conductor in the Washington, D.C. area. John, why don't you tell us a little bit about your career as a conductor? Well, being a conductor is a really exciting career path because you get to do so many different things. Mm -hmm. Very rarely does a conductor work with only one group or only one set of people or even only one organization. I, right now, am affiliated with five different orchestras, some of which um, I'm the lead conductor, the person making all the decisions, and other uh, orchestras I'm doing things either as an assistant conductor or behind-the-scenes design concerts. So um, as a conductor and I'm early in my career, there's a lot of different paths you can follow. And one of the exciting things about being where I am right now is that um, a lot of opportunities are open to me and I'm making decisions about where I want to concentrate going forward. What attracted you to this industry? I know you kind of talked about you get to work with a lot of different people. Was that something that appealed to you? Well, I always thought that music would be part of my life and probably my profession. Originally, I grew up being a, uh, a clarinet player, mm-hmm. and that line became something that I, I stopped being interested in doing professionally because I couldn't stand sitting in a practice room eight hours a day with my clarinet getting ready for audition. Right. So I, I'm a very social person. I like organization and working behind the scenes to make things better for everybody else. So conducting really seemed like a good option for me because you get to lead the organization, you make the decisions about what the orchestra is going to play, how many people are going to be in the group, what type of projects and initiatives you're going to support. And then when you're on the podium, especially leading rehearsals, you set the tenor for the group. You are the one that sets the pace and, and the development track for the whole ensemble. And that really drew me to leading the group. And I consider my experience as a player within the group for a decade and a half to be something that set me up very well to be successful in the positions that I have now. Awesome. So you mentioned that you got started as a clarinet player. How old were you when you started playing? Like most public school students in New York State, uh, I started in fourth grade when they told you you had to pick an instrument. <laughs> I actually signed up for cello. Okay. Um, they, ran, they ran out of cello, so the next alphabetical instrument was clarinet, and I got handed a clarinet. I didn't I can't say for sure if I knew the difference between a cello and a clarinet at that point, so I just went with it. And uh, I'm I'm happy it worked out that way because clarinet playing became the thing that was most important to me. And um, that's what I studied in college and led me to the um, professional musician career path. So in order to be a successful conductor, is it required that you play more than just the clarinet? Or like, what do you have to do to kind of expand your knowledge? Because you do work with instruments of, you know, all types. Right, That's a great question and one that we get asked all the time. So I think every conductor will say that they're a specialist in one instrument. Okay. Um, learning how to become an instrumentalist at, an, at a professional level uh, is an extremely difficult task and one that really nobody can do on more than maybe one or two instruments. So our job as a conductor is to know what it takes to play an instrument as well as anybody is playing their own instrument in the orchestra. So for me, that's clarinet. More traditionally for conductors, they're going to be a pianist, a violinist, a cellist, a percussionist. Of course, there are examples for every instrument. Mm -hmm. 
then what we do in school is familiarize ourselves with the particular challenges and considerations for all of the other instruments. So I've taken viola lessons, I've taken piano lessons, I've taken horn lessons, and worked to familiarize myself with the challenge and the set of difficulties that they're facing. But I could never play a French horn better than the French horn player in my orchestra. Mm -hmm. But I know enough about the French horn that when I want a different sound from my French horn section, or I want them to do something better or differently, I have the language and and the awareness of what they're dealing with to say something to them that will make a difference. And that's where a conductor really succeeds or fails in front of an ensemble if the things, the instructions they're giving to players ring true to them and they know that they can play better with your, with your input, that's going to make the ensemble place their trust in you. So you've talked a little bit about the education that you've had as, you know, growing and learning as a conductor. You know, what kind of education is needed to become a professional conductor? There are a number of different paths you can take being a conductor, the typical one now, at least in America, is that uh, you'll get an undergraduate degree in a music performance field, meaning you play, like I did the clarinet, other people will do whatever instrument they, they specialize in, and then at the master's degree level, you move to a specialization in conducting. Okay. So almost all people in America who are on the conducting track are in a master's program or have completed a master's program in orchestral or wind band conducting. Choral conductors also have a, a degree path that they can follow. After that, people tend to go two ways. If you're interested in being a conductor at a college or university, a conservatory, you're probably going to go on to get a, what's called a DMA, which is our equivalent of a PhD. It's called the Doctor of Musical Arts. Okay. Most schools that have a master's program will also have a program for advanced studies like that. Or a lot of people will stop after the masters and start taking auditions to be the assistant conductor for regional professional orchestras. And those that are successful in that pursuit will often end up taking the professional track. The people that get the doctorate will often end up in the academic track. I'm kind of straddling both. I'm getting my doctorate right now while I'm doing a lot of professional conducting. And I like keeping my options open. So I decided to, to go that route. In addition to the education that you're getting, are there any specific certifications required for as far as I know you mentioned getting your um, your DMA, which is sort of like a PhD or a doctorate um, to teach like music at the high school level or the college level. Do you need a certificate in teaching? Well, that's a, that's a great question. For high school teaching, you would typically get a degree in music education where the hands-on experience with learning how to play all the instruments is a primary focus because you're actually going to be working with middle and high school students that need that help of how to play particular notes or use the bow correctly, set up their the way that they connect to their instrument um, in a better way. So you're going to go through the typical standards and certifications that a high school or middle school teacher will need, which include you know, working with children with disabilities, uh, educational uh, strategies, and curriculum development, that type of thing. If you're looking to connect professionally or at the collegiate level, there is no strict requirement to be certified in a particular way. Those jobs are often handed out by audition, especially at the professional level. And if you can deliver a good product, they're not, they don't concern themselves so much with where you went to school or how many degrees or master classes that you attended or, or achieved. So 
So to teach at the high school, middle school level, certainly you're going to need a lot of certification. To teach at the upper levels or professionally, not so much, except if you want to teach at a university where the doctorate really helps because um, more and more they're looking for that level of, of completed education before you start teaching people that are going to be getting those degrees. Are there any like particular universities that are known for that kind of program? Yes, there are. So there are two different focuses by schools that teach music. There are liberal arts schools that will often have a school of music contained within them. For instance, I am finishing my doctoral studies at the University of Maryland. Many big state schools have excellent music schools. Other schools like that would be the University of Michigan, University of Indiana. Um, Those schools um, have large conservatory-level programs within them. Some even call themselves conservatories, but affiliated with liberal arts institutions. Um, Then there are schools that are called conservatories that specialize just in teaching music. And examples of that would be famous schools like Juilliard, Curtis. Um, There's a conservatory called New England Conservatory in Boston. And these schools teach only music and require very little, if any, outside curriculum in the liberal arts field. So um, those are some of the better known schools, and there are, there are many. And within the profession, you know, you're aware of what those schools are, and and they're and they're very. If you talk to any musician, they'll be able to advise you as to what where best to go for your particular field of interest. Just to switch gears a little bit, you talked about how you started playing the clarinet when you were at a very young age. Was there anything that you did in middle school and high school when you were learning to kind of advance your expertise and excel? your ability on the clarinet that would be helpful for other people to know? So if they're, they want to follow that same path, they can go ahead and do those same things? Sure. I think that there are two main areas where people can supplement what they're getting probably at their, at their school to achieve a high level of musicianship. One is taking private lessons with an outside teacher on your instrument. This, your school ensemble leader is dealing with, you know, anywhere between 20 to 100 kids in the room at the same time, and individual attention is obviously not going to be at a high level. Mm-hmm. When you're working even just an hour a week with a private teacher, that person can really lead you on a path to development that's rapidly accelerated. And, I, and everyone that I know that succeeds as a musician started taking lessons on their private instrument. Okay. Um, the, se- the second thing that's great to do is find an outside ensemble that's an honor-level ensemble where people have to audition to get in, and then you're going to be playing with people that are taking it very seriously. One of the problems with with school music programs is that you're going to have a bunch of students in the group that aren't motivated to be there. And once there is a contingent of people who don't want to be in an ensemble, the ensemble tends to function at at their level rather than the level of the people that really want to be there. Right. So so there's in almost every community in America, there's something called a, uh, a youth orchestra where you join by audition and pay tuition. And then you have a conductor leading the group that's usually um, very well credentialed. And you have students there that are excited to be making music together. And that was one of the defining moments of my career when I joined the New York Youth Symphony in New York City as a high schooler. Finally, I was surrounded by all students interested in music most of whom were better at their instrument than I was. Whereas I went to a small public high school with only 100 kids in a, in a grade. And I you know, far and away the best musician there, and I wasn't being challenged. Right. So that experience of playing in the youth orchestra, we performed in Carnegie Hall. We 
played with some of the best soloists in the country. And that really led me to want to aim higher. And I was forced to practice all the time just to be competitive in that group. And so um, I would say those are two good things any young musician could do to um, further their studies and accelerate the, their improvement on an instrument when even there in middle or high school. So let's fast forward a bit. You're in college and, you know, you're in college getting your undergrad, then you're getting your master's, now you're getting your um, your DMA. So I noticed that you have worked with the National Symphony Orchestra as well as high school and college ensembles. Now, is it important to have that experience on all levels, both professionally and educationally, to be part of, like, to be a conductor? I would say that when you are a young conductor, any experience is good experience. The reason that I've intentionally sought work at all these different levels is because I want to keep my options as open as I can for as long as I can. Mm -hmm. But if you know that you want to be a high school orchestra teacher, you don't need to seek out a lot of involvement at with a professional symphony in order to be qualified to do that. For me, I, my goal is going to be to work with probably three different types of ensembles once I finish my schooling, which would be a local professional orchestra running a collegiate program. And then the thing I really like best is conducting the, the high-level high school orchestras. Mm-hmm. So right now, I'm the music director of one of the biggest youth orchestras in Virginia, and, I, and that's kind of my central focus as far as my job. Some of the work I've done with the National Symphony includes designing concert programs geared uh, towards young children. Mm-hmm. I've also done many different jobs for them that kind of help the conductor that's on the podium, where it, be it um, supporting them by conducting from a different spot in the, in the hall. If there's a big production going on where not everyone who's actively engaged with the music making can see the conductor, or even um, if you've been to an opera, they'll put the translation for whatever they're saying in a foreign language above the orchestra and, and ensemble so that you can understand what's happening. And I will run that for them. So there's just a, a number of things that any conductor is going to be well equipped to do. And if you're working with a group as uh, renowned as the National Symphony, any work with them is good work. Um, whereas, you know, with these, with these other types of ensembles, you know, you have to be a little bit picky with what you're willing to do. But I, you know, conduct an orchestra at the University of Maryland like I said, while I'm getting my degree there and then work with a number of high school groups. And it's led to some nice opportunities. Like in the last two years, I've conducted several all-state and all-county orchestras where you have some of the elite talent from different areas of the country come together and play. And it's a joy to work with them because they all have a thirst for good quality music making and being able to help bring that to them is really satisfying. Well, it sounds like you are definitely passionate about what you do. And that's great to hear. So could you walk us through like what if like one of your typical days if you were um, conducting an orchestra or a group for a performance, like preparing them? Sure. Well, um, something that I think everyone experiences and it's not uh, something that is absent from the life of a conductor is my morning is filled with email Mm -hmm. Um, as something that is really important that a lot of people don't consider with with conducting is that most of what you do is organizational. And it's a running joke within the conducting field that 90% of what you do is email and organization in order to get to the 10% of actual conducting. Okay. Because we are, we're not only are we in charge of the music making, we're also in charge of all of the decisions, if you're the music director, 
that go into the creation of the ensemble. So I have to hear every player audition. And then I sit down and work out this puzzle of who I want to be in my orchestra, what chair they're going to sit in, and what music we're going to play. Then I have to find out where the music is available and how to buy it, how to rent it, how to get it into the hands of the players with the right markings in it. And then I have to work with my staff to get a place to rehearse. I have to work with them to get everything set up the way it needs to be set up, make sure we have all the instruments in place that they need. And then I've got to hire soloists to come in and work with the group. And if we're going to do a concerto or commission a piece from a composer, all of things have to get taken care of ahead of time. And the final decision-making all rests with the conductor. So if if people are interested in going into this field, you have to really, really be conscientious about that level of work because that's what's going to determine if everyone feels like they're running or you're running a, a well-organized um, ensemble. The fun part then comes later on in the day when you actually get to go to rehearsal and work with the group, explore the music that you're performing. And then, you know, obviously at the end of the week, you're putting on a concert. Right. Right. So be honest with me. Do you love this? I do love this. And I think every conductor would say that they love it. It's a profession that's too overwhelming on your time and too involved in every aspect with the music that if you, if you, I think if you didn't love it, you wouldn't be doing it. So I can say that, you know, if, if, if anyone listening to this show has a passion for this, that is most of what you need to give the tireless effort that it requires to succeed in the, in this field. Now, is there anything that you don't like about it? Sometimes, there are really difficult decisions that need to get made, especially with regard to choosing the players in your group. Um, the conductor is required to be the be at least one of the final decision makers with people being hired and fired within the ensemble. And nobody, I don't think, would say that they like having to let someone go, especially with, with music. It's such an open, emotional field that when you're on the podium, you need to be able to connect with a supportive cast in front of you and be with showing them what you feel about the music. And anytime that there's a disruption in that positive flow of energy, it's, it's rough. So I think when one of the things you, anyone would say they don't like about the job is, is some of the distraction that comes with those personnel decisions. Mm-hmm. And then also, a lot of times, you know, you, you, you wish you're a musician and you wish you could be actively engaged with music. And whereas, you know, the violinist in your, in your orchestra can wake up and start practicing, like I said, we have to go sit at the computer and do lots of organizational stuff. So if you're, I like that element, but I could see that there's a lot of times when you know people will get bogged down or be tired of that kind of office business work that goes along with it. But I think it all has to be framed with, within the context of you, you're organizing the best music-making uh, context for your group. And everything that you do, even if it's at a computer and kind of boring, is directed towards that end. And if you keep that in mind, I think it keeps you going through some of those tougher times. So now I have to ask this question because we do have listeners who are college students or high schoolers that might be considering this for a possible career path. Is this financially beneficial? Just give us a ballpark for the compensation for this job. Okay. Well, depending on the type of job, the compensation is going to vary tremendously. Mm -hmm. At the top of the field, you have the conductors of the top professional symphonies in America making between one and $5 million a year. They're wow. kind of the rock star. They're the rock stars. If you're looking at a 
smaller orchestra that's going to require much less of your time, like a regional orchestra that maybe presents one or two sets of concerts a month, you're looking between sixty dollars and $100,000 a year for that. But you have a lot of extra time to do other jobs that can complement that salary. Um, a typical college professor is also looking at compensation between sixty dollars and 100000 There are jobs like the job that I have in Virginia, music director for a youth orchestra, where I have a lot of administrative duties day to day, but I only conduct one rehearsal a week. And um, I mean, I'm paid very well for that job, but you're looking at, you know, part-time pay. So I'm making about one fifth of what I would be making as a, as a top ranked college professor, but I have six days a week to do other jobs. Mm -hmm. So I really like the setup that I have now where I've cobbled together a good, a good salary combining several different jobs. But if you, if you, um, you know, get a high school job or a college job, you're looking at a very steady income with health benefits and a retirement plan that can set you up for a very predictable and financially sound life. Whereas if you're a professional conductor and you're, and you are contracting concerts one by one as they come, you know, it's a little bit more unpredictable, but you can make a lot more money. Right. So if you had to do it all over again, would you choose this path? I, I certainly would. I was very, very careful in my decision-making. After college, I was halfway into a business career and decided to stay with music, and I'm so happy that I did. I found a great home at the University of Maryland, and I'm studying with a teacher there named James Ross, who couldn't be more supportive or helpful in my, in my career decisions and as a teacher. And um, the music-making that I get to do, especially with young people, is incredibly fulfilling and and I wouldn't trade it for anything. Well, that's awesome. Now, just to wrap things up here today, is there anything else that you would want to share with our young minds or our professional changing careers? Sure. Well, the thing I know best is conducting, so I'll, I'll give a piece of advice for that. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of conductors will come out of college or out of graduate school without a career path firmly in place. You know, if you're a doctor, if you're a lawyer, you're going to know the track you need to take and there's kind of a, a, a plan for you because there are so many people doing those jobs. Things get established and there's a need. For conducting, there isn't that great a need. You only need one conductor for any 100-person orchestra and a job isn't necessarily going to be available right away. But my teacher taught me this and I firmly believe that if you are committed to the idea of yourself being a conductor and you continually improve your ability to make music well, you will be able to find something that works. And once you get that first opportunity and become recognized and established, things quickly speed up. So if someone meets a decision point where they're struggling and it doesn't feel like their career is going to take off, I think the important thing to remember is you are a conductor. This mm -hmm. is what you've chosen to do. And what you have to do at that point is network and find a way to make yourself valuable to an orchestra in whatever way you can, and the opportunities will start to grow from there. So I think that's the best piece of advice I can share is that you just have to be, you have to be totally convinced that you are a conductor, no matter if you have a great job, a bad job, no job, whatever. And I've seen this many, many times. It works out for the people that really believe in what they're doing. All right, everyone, that's it for today on You Do What. Thank you for joining us and sharing your experience, John. We do appreciate it. Now, to find more employment-related shows, head over to aljanradio.com. If you have any comments, questions, or suggestions for future shows, email me at aljanradio at localjobnetwork.com. 
Once again, I'm Katie Chesney with Algian Radio, and I'll see you next time.